You're listening to the Voices for Nature podcast. Cocktails, controversy and conservation. Brought to you by the Nature Conservation Council. And here are your hosts, Chris Gambian and Jackie Mumford. G'day and welcome to Cocktails, Controversy and Conservation. I'm Jackie Mumford. It's great to have you here tonight for the last episode of our summer series, uh, brought to you when Chris and I headed out to the Pilliga Forest uh, and along the Darling River at the end of last year. Um, as always, please head along to nature.org.au slash donate. It's thanks to generous donors just like you that we're able to get out there across New South Wales uh, and bring you stories from areas, beautiful parts of, of the state that, that are affected or threatened in some way. And you can listen to all of these episodes as podcasts now. So next time you have a long drive, uh, head along to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search for Voices for Nature. And you can hear tonight's episode uh, and all of our previous episodes as a podcast. Uh, and we'll be back uh, in two weeks' time uh, live. Chris and I will be back uh, when we'll, we'll be bringing you um, a story on koalas. Uh, so please join us again in two weeks when our, our summer series is wrapped up and we're, and we're back uh, for our full season of cocktails. Tonight's episode is on floodplain harvesting. Uh, it's a huge threat to the Darling River and the Menindee Lakes and the whole river system. Uh, this issue is going to be hotting up a lot over the coming months as the New South Wales government considers licensing for floodplain harvesting. You can head along to savemenindylakes.org.au, which is uh, an NCC-run website um, on how you can get more involved specifically on the campaign around stopping floodplain harvesting um, and to save the Menindee Lakes. T uh, tonight's episode we recorded in Broken Hill, where we spoke with Bill Johnson and Marion Slattery uh, from Slattery and Johnson about the issue of floodplain harvesting. I, I hope you get as much out of uh, tonight's episode as I did speaking with them. So, Marianne Slattery, Bill Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. Both uh, water experts uh, writing a report um, on floodplain harvesting. First and foremost, water, everybody says it's incredibly complex, and maybe it is, but can you give us the sort of four dummies guide? What is floodplain harvesting? Uh, floodplain harvesting is a method mostly in the Northern Basin uh, where Where's the Northern Basin? Let's, Sorry. Let's, let's start so, from that so, the, so the Murray-Darling Basin is a very large river basin, uh, the, Murray, the Murray River and the, the Barwon-Darling-Barker Rivers. And, uh, and the Northern Basin is, is basically, really in a sense, the tributaries of, of the Darling-Barker. So the Barwon-Darling-Barker is, is the main river and it has seven or eight uh, tributaries and they all feed into it. So we're talking Burke? We're talking Northern Burke. Burke. We're, yeah, we're talking... Uh, we're talking Wentworth on the Barker, uh, Wilcannia, Menindi, Burke, Brewarrina, Walgett, and they're all on. They're all on the um, on the Bow and Darling Barker. So that's the main stem of the river, and then the rivers that feed into it in a in a, in a big arc from the Paru in the west, which comes out of sort of in central Queensland, the Warrego, the Condamine belongs a big river in Queensland, and then comes into New South Wales. You've got 
border rivers uh, wider, now more in Macquarie. So there's an arc, there's an arc of, of, of catchment from way up, sort of getting into central Queensland, right around to Lithgow. Uh, and so, so all that water falls in that big arc and flows in all that, and it actually meets pretty much in one spot in the area really between near Burke and Walbert. They all come in and that's and that's and that's the, the fun that's the, the fundamentals of that, that big river. It's a big river. It's a big river. So unlike the south, which is uh, more 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 regular, the flows are more regular, in the north there's there's winter flows in the south, there are monsoon flows in the north. So they're some of the most variable rivers in the world. But the Darling, the Darling Barker Barwon is it, it, it takes all of those flows. It takes flows all year round. And one of the things, a bit of a distraction here, but one of the things is that it never dried up, and it rarely stopped flowing because it had big flows, big flows from really an enormous part of the basin. So uh, it's highly variable. There are main river channels, but there are thousands of, of, of smaller channels. Some of them only marginally smaller, but thousands of smaller channels. The floodplains are not just a single river channel with a flat table, like a table. They are uh, intersecting streams and they, they break out, they break back, and it's a huge, an enormous network of intersecting streams and, and, and braided systems. And so the Lower Boulogne floodplain, for example, is about two million hectares, and that's just one of the rivers, so it's vast. So it carries a lot of water, a lot of water. And, um, and there aren't as many big headwater storages in the upper catchment as as in the south, a lot of the water flows through these streams and there's an enormous opportunity which has been taken to harvest off off those floodplains. And it's not just taking water that never goes back to the river which you hear, but that water, it breaks out, it goes in the wetlands and swamps and they, they, they all come back. And in the end, all of that water would have come back is it is 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 in is in this big river that then flows fifteen hundred Ks through yeah, a semi-arid, uh, arid area, and, and, and joins the Murray. It's a it's a big river. So, floodplain harvesting is the taking of water uh, that flows across the floodplain and, and streams away from the single the main channels, which then obviously impacts on what happens further down the channel. Yeah, There's just yeah, less course. water. Yeah, they've intercepted it. Intercepted. They've intercepted. That's right. Yeah. And, and when you say you know the river, it very rarely did ever run dry what what's the time period that we're talking about like how long has it you know when did it start to sort of because on our on our travels we've seen it sort of various places in Wilcanya you know the river was almost completely dry and we know that there are you know like long periods recently where it has been dry when did that sort of start and and is that you know what can you attribute that to um it's the evidence that the river so so we've been talking to fisheries ecologists uh, people who have been looking at the old riverboat records, we look at the river channel itself. So the evidence is there through through the fish and mussels that, that they're flowing water, they need flowing water habitat. And so, um, and the river itself, that big channel, it's a, it's, it's a, there's a lot of power in that channel that comes from, from flow. The water gives it the power and that's, that's the power in that river that, that means that there's a single, the ecologists and the, and the researchers are saying it, it never dried up. And it rarely stopped flowing. Maybe 90 percent of the time it flowed. But even when, even in the worst of the historic droughts, uh, there were big flows, big full channel flows, quite frequently. Now, the really the big sudden change. So this is over thousands of years. That channel doesn't form overnight. Um, 
thousands and thousands of years, maybe tens of thousands of years, it's been a really sudden drop in the last 20 years. It's just the last 20 years has, has been a sudden drop. And is that, does that coincide with floodplain harvesting or what, is, what are you seeing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's you know, little doubt we've had a, a massive growth in floodplain harvesting. Um, it hasn't been limited by the legal limits that government, governments have put in place and agreed um, that we would limit take to 1994 level of development. Um, the growth and the ability to capture floodplain harvesting and putting living banks and structures in place to, to capture and funnel floodplain harvesting has, has just been increasing. Um, and it just makes sense. You take more water from upstream, there's less water downstream. Um, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah. It's coincided with a move into a drier conditions, but that the, the fact that the river has had so little flow over the last 20 years cannot be accounted for simply by that. And that's borne out by research that the Murray Valley Basin Authority itself has done that this change cannot be attributed only to climate variability, that there is a, a factor of growth in extractions. Yeah. Tell us about the report that you're currently working on and uh, what are you finding? Sure. So um, the New South Wales government is in the process of um, issuing floodplain licences. Um, uh, it's been sort of 20 plus years in the making. The, the, the practice is currently unlicensed, unregulated, and it also means unmeasured and unmonitored. Um, it's great that they're moving towards licensing floodplain harvesting, um, but the real issue is that under law, they're required to limit take to the 1994 level of development. So that's the infrastructure that was in place in 1994 and the rules that were in place in 1994. And while they're um, you know, you know, undertaking what they tell us is a very rigorous process to issue these licenses, what they cannot demonstrate is that, that licences are going to be reduced back to the 1994 level of development. So we've been asking for several years, and you know, what is the evidence to demonstrate this? We've been saying that the onus is on government to demonstrate that we're back at 1994 levels. Um, you know, no, no reassurances were com coming forth, no promises of any evidence was coming forth. So we undertook the process ourselves to figure out what was the 1994 level of development. And that's what we've done. We've gone back and looked at on-farm storages at points in time since 1994 up to the present. Um, and we've also collated, we've done that through satellite imaging and LIDAR, and we've also collated 25 years worth of the literature and research around mm -hmm. estimates of floodplain harvesting and on-farm storages. And so when you talk about floodplain harvesting and um, the, you know, the amount of take and licensing. Can you just talk us through what that actually looks like on farms? Like where does that, where do they take the water and how is it stored and how do they capture it? The, so, so a lot of irrigation properties have big storages, they call them on-farm storages or reservoirs and, and they're, they're, they're on a flat landscape, so the earth is dug out from mostly on the inside and built up and, and, and big, big, um, and big banks, and the water is put into them. Now, they are the centrepiece, they're the, they're the, they're the storages, they're called the on-farm storages or the on-farm reservoirs where water that is harvested is stored. Now, associated with that is a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of harvesting and collecting, uh, and collecting infrastructure, so it's, it's banks, it's levees, it's channels, it's diversions, 
And and so properties set up, uh, and they're on floodplains, and they've got a lot of streams associated with them. And so when the water flows across the landscape or out of the main rivers or or on creeks across the landscape and, and, and breaks out in many of the runners, then it is uh, often intercepted by those ancillary uh, bank, banks and levees and impoundments and then either gravity fed or or pumped uh, into these big these big storages. And there are different methods. There are some there are some there's a there's a method that's off, that's used in Queensland, um, often in some of in New South Wales where there are a small, uh, a small uh, levee or a weir is put across the stream, and that holds the water up. And a channel can be dug from the stream into a storage. So, so the so the weir will hold hold the water up at a certain level, which then diverts it into the storage. So, uh, gravity. Um, people say there's a there's a there's a bit of a saying of we work with nature, uh, we use gravity. So that's that's one of the justifications or one of the ways it's explained. So that so 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 the, the storages that we've mapped are the centerpiece, but there is enormous ancillary infrastructure around it that can divert and and um, divert and manage and hold water, and it can be held temporarily. It can be moved around. So it's a very uh, it's a very sophisticated uh, and and um, and effective way of of intercepting intercepting flows. Just recently, uh, in the New South Wales Upper House, there's been a fair bit of controversy around, uh, first of all, the disallowance, um, and now an attempt to pass through the Parliament uh, some changes around floodplain harvesting. Can you just explain that what that all is and what that means? Sure. So floodplain harvesting has been an allowed practice, you know, forever. Um, but under the New South Wales legislation, you cannot take any water um, without a licence. Um, the last floodplain harvesting event we had before this year was in 2016. Um, in 2017 or 18, um, the New South Wales created a Nat uh, Natural Resource Access Regulator, which was to regulate um, all aspects of water compliance um, after a whole lot of scandals around um, you know, water and the mismanagement of water had emerged through different media outlets. So the Natural Resource Access Regulator, NRA, the first time they had an opportunity to really you know, be faced with the prospect of people taking water off the floodplain without a licence was at the beginning of this year. Um, there was a large amount of rain forecast in the Northern Basin in February this year, and NRA advised um, a group of senior bureaucrats and irrigators that floodplain harvesting without a licence, so that means anyone that takes floodplain harvesting in New South Wales is illegal, and they would prosecute if people took water. So the <coughs> minister in the department um, rushed through a regulation to, to exempt the need to ta have a licence to take floodplain water. Um, and when you say rush through, this was literally 24 hours before it started raining. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, it seems as though from documents we've received through um, the upper house, what Helen Dalton requested in the upper house, um, it was a very rushed decision and a rushed regulation. Um, that, because of, you know, you've got a certain number of sitting days to put forward a disallowance motion and vote on a disallowance motion. Um, because of COVID, you know, that the ability to vote on that stretched out for months because Parliament wasn't sitting. 
so it was it was before Parliament in about August, I think, this year, um, and it, it was disallowed. The disallowance motion was before Parliament? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and it was disallowed. Um, and Labor and all the crossbenchers, with the exception of Fred and I, supported the disallowance motion. So it was a pretty comprehensive rejection of it. Um, uh, the last Parliament sitting, which was a couple of weeks ago, Minister Pavey put up a rescission to reverse the disallowance motion. Um, that was defeated a couple of nights ago in Parliament by an increased majority than the disallowance motion. Um, Minister Pavey has now said that she's going to resubmit the regulation on the 22nd of January next year. Um, there's a certain number of days that lapse after you put up a failed regulation. Um, that you can put up another one. So she's putting up the new regulation to the day that um, she's allowed to. And that will be before Parliament is sitting. So it'll again be subject to a disallowance, but there'll be at least a few weeks opportunity for floodplain harvesting if there's water um, before it, could go, it goes before Parliament and is disallowed. So they're pretty desperate to get it through. Yeah. Um, at the same time, uh, the government and some parts of the irrigation sector in the north are at pains to say floodplain harvesting is not illegal. Um, it's just ambiguous, but they cannot tell us why it's ambiguous. Um, and they, they haven't been able to refute some very clear legal advice that, you know, take without a licence is illegal. What's the sort of, from, I know your report's not finished, but you've now crunched a lot of data. Um, and I know we're going to see a presentation later tonight, but. What's the sort of big takeout, and what do you think the message from your research so far is for government uh, in particular and other stakeholders? Well, the, the cap is a legal requirement under Commonwealth and New South Wales legislation that we limit take to cap, limit take to 1994 level of development. Um, it is up to government to prove that has been the case. They haven't provided any evidence, they won't say they're going to provide any evidence. We have evidence, it's very clear that there's been a growth more than 140% in on-farm storages in the northern New South Wales Basin. Um, so government has to, you know, say how they're going to deal with that. Um, so what do you think are the implications for CAP of that? Um, well, if you've got the South mostly compliant with CAP, um, and the North not compliant with CAP, certainly in relation to floodplain harvesting, it really begs the question of, is there a CAP? And, you know, the government, when they introduced CAP, said there was an equity issue, everyone has to be under CAP, um, otherwise, you know, some parties, you know, benefit while others suffer. Um, it's worth noting that the amount of floodplain harvesting that the New South Wales government is proposing on a maximum annual basis it's around about 2,100 gigalitres, which is the total amount of water recovery um, under the Basin Plan. Um, um, and 85% of the water recovery has come out of the south, while the north, where you've got this big growth, has been able to expand and now they now, now have, you know, what looks like as much floodplain harvesting as the total water recovered. So, you know, environment suffers, but just from our community perspective, it's a massive equity issue. When the report's available, can we direct people to, to see a copy of it or is it, will it be published online or something like that? We've been doing this, we're engaged to this by 
a group, a, a large group of people, and, um, Southern Riverine Irrigators, the Inland Rivers Network supported it, um, Darrow Elders Group of Walgots uh, has supported it. So we, uh, the Broken Hill Outdoor Recreation Hunting Club supported it. So there's some council supported it. So I'm, it will be really um, up to them to, uh, to do that. But I, I think people seem very keen for it to be mm. public, yeah. Yeah, great. And Inland Rivers Network is a member group of NCC, yeah. so yeah, yeah. sure we can yeah. get our hands on a copy through yeah. there. Yeah, so, so the Inland Rivers Network has been a strong supporter. Um, okay. uh, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. We're looking forward to the show tonight. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Brian. If you've enjoyed this podcast, can you chip in to help us be the voice for nature? We rely on donations to keep being effective, loud and independent. Visit nature.org.au.